G'day everybody and welcome to the Drive Able podcast where we discuss all things about driving and safer community transport for people with disabilities and medical conditions. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you go back and listen to the last episode. In that last episode, we spoke to Jack. Jack's been through the learner process with hand controls and the NDIS. This is episode five where we reflect on that last episode and dig deeper and give our professional perspective on what we learned talking with Jack and other experiences that we've had in the industry. Brad, are you ready for this? Mate, I am ready. Are you ready? All right. Yep, I am. Let's get into it. Driving is something many take for granted, but when someone has altered ability, then driving or getting out and about in your own car can be challenging. Driving with a disability doesn't mean you have to drive an old clapped out car with farm-like machinery and relying on a wheelchair doesn't mean waiting for hours and then being in the back of a maxi access cab getting car sick. The Drivable podcast is designed to introduce and explore driving aids for people with disabilities, vehicle modifications, the NDIS, research, medical guidelines, driving techniques and much, much more. The Drivable Podcast is to help you be informed and be in control of your own independence so you can experience freedom through driving safely and reliably. I'm Ali and with me is Brad and together we have over 30 years of experience in disability and driving. Enough of the intros, let's get into it. Okay, in this episode we're going to talk about the process a learner has to go through to get their license when they need hand controls and what they need to do to, when they're working with the NDIS. And like we said in the intro, in the last episode, we spoke to Jack, who's just been through the process and he's on his learning process now. So he's got his learner's license and he's learning to drive with his hand controls. So in this episode, we're going to talk about our key takeaway points and talk about that at a higher professional level uh, for the OTs that tune in, for the modifiers that tune in, and anybody else that wants to know about the technical side of things. Uh, Ali, what was your first takeaway from last week's episode? How how much of a legend is Jack? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, He's just got such a positive attitude towards it all, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. It was was really, really good um, talking to him. And uh, for me, it was really, I guess, encouraging just talking to a younger person with such a great attitude. Um, you tend to sort of hear a bit of negativity sometimes on the modern day media around sort of younger people and stuff like that. So um, it was just great having someone like that. I, I actually think that he could probably be, be a bit of an ambassador within this industry, just with his attitude um, uh, for people within that kind of high school age. Um, because I'd say it's a very, very challenging age to be going through disabilities. Well, yeah, and and a massive shout out to his mum. He he really reflected on how much his mum was there to help him and and help get through some of this process. So, uh, a massive shout out to all the mums and dads that help out um, people at this vulnerable age of of moving through the high school years. And and so much happens at that end of high school, um, year twelve, and uh, moving on to the next part of their life, but also trying to get a license as well. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you're going through so many sort of things like puberty and all that and, and having that disability and all the challenges around the um, access to driving, um, you know, like just trying to feel part of everybody, feel part of the same crew as everyone. Um, you know, as he said, he wanted to just have his peas when everyone else got their peas and so on and so forth. So um, it, was, it was cool that he sort of, yeah, like, I guess for me, I didn't, think about it too much in terms of being of that age and not 
and missing out on those things and having those kind of barriers. Um, but it was amazing to see that he's sort of charging through those barriers, you know, and, and just trying his best to be as normal as possible. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got, like we said in the podcast, I got gifted my first car and it's a hand-me-down from my grandparents. He couldn't do that. He had to actually go and get a car that met the NDIS guidelines. And his attitude to, towards that was, well, I need a car that works. He didn't have, he wasn't going to get, you know, the best car or, or the, the car of his dreams. I don't think he has a car of his dreams. He just wants to drive, but he was restricted, but he, he was so positive about it and, and understood, took an understanding that uh, the NDIS do have guidelines in regards to having a car of a certain age. So it's going to last, like, so the value for money that the car is actually going to last a certain amount of time before having to reinvest in, in a new set of hand controls. They want it to last for that eight to 10 year period, which is the, the normal life, life cycle of a car. Um, so yeah, he was, he was accepting of that and accepting that he has to get a car that fits within that bracket and ended up buying a new car but not, not the car of his dreams. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually interesting when you say that because what I was thinking was when you're 17, like you, those kind of things, they're just like the last thing on your mind. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those, you just want to get in the car and go hang out with your friends. You know what I mean? Like all of this other stuff. It's all, so, so for the fact that he's able to, he has to deal with that stuff and for him at that age to have to process it, yeah. Um, and then go th move through it. It's, it's just amazing, you know? Um, yeah. Because Absolutely. I, just, I just remember when I was 17, it was just, let me get into a car and go and crash parties, you know? And, and I didn't yeah. care about anything else. You know, it's just, uh, I, I don't know about you. Did you have the money to buy a new car at 17? No, no, it was, yeah. and there was no, nothing around there. It was just like whatever you could get your hands on, you know? Yep. Like I, I, um, I, as I said, I, I think I said in the last episode, I scammed my parents, um, Holden Commodore, 1993, I think it was. Commodore um, and and I just thought I was the coolest kid in town because I had this green Commodore this dark green um, Commodore and um, and I remember my best mate Sam scored this like 1983 Mazda 626 falling apart we did we did panel repairs on it with my feet I was, I was sitting in the boot punching it out with my feet and, um, and and actually trying to form the panels with the heels of my feet you know so um, <laughs> So, so, you know, those are the things that we were doing while um, some, or Jack is having to process completely high-level things and, and really complex things at that age. So it's, um, it's, it's a testament to him uh, that he's able to go through that and still have that great attitude and not look so fatigued. And, you know, that stuff would get you down, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, um, he's got to go and work to pay off his car. And I, when I went out at 17, 18, that type of age, I was going out and spending my money on partying not not having to purchase a new car but but his whole attitude towards it was just excellent like he he was accepting that you know if if he needs money from the ndis to help him achieve that independence and freedom that he wants uh, he, he's got the right attitude about it all is that the ndis there is is there to help um there are certain guidelines around the ndis in regards to you know, it's not just it's not just money for you to go and spend on whatever. It's specifically designed to help you achieve independence around your disability. And he he understood that, and he understood that there's guidelines around 
what what that actually means in regards to what money can be spent on. Yeah, it was actually really interesting. Um, that's one thing I wanted to, I guess, highlight in this discussion today is, and I'm sure you get it all the time, like every day we get people calling us with all these anecdotal complaints about NDIS. Um, you know, I got rejected for this or this not fair and I got this and I, some, this person got that and I didn't get this and so on and so forth. And And what we've found through experience is, and I think Jack highlighted that, there's a couple of key kind of, I guess, philosophies, if you'd like to call to NDIS, I've learned. Um, and Jack was uh, demonstrating that he was going along with those philosophies. And, and that's why I think he's achieved success. One of them is it, you need a team of people to work with. So if you saw he, he had the modifiers, he had the OTs, he's got his whole family, his community, you know, the, everybody around him is on board and helping. So it's, it's understanding and he didn't have a problem asking for help. You know, we go out there and, and trial things with end users and clients all the time and, and they're scared to ask for help or they're worried about putting people out or, you know, and, and that's the point of the NDIS is bringing people together to help work as a community. So he's doing that and he's achieving success out of that. And the other thing I thought, which was really good, was that, look, when the government, one, one thing people don't understand is when the government is giving away free money, this is your money, my money, our money, we want accountability for where that money is going to go. So, so there's going to be forms, there's going to be, there's going to be things from here to high heaven for you to fill out and jump over. And there should be because it's billions of dollars a year, you know, so, and, and the great thing is, is he, he moved through those in a sensible manner. What we find is someone will fill out a form incorrectly, get rejected, and they'll give up and go, oh, this whole thing, NDIS doesn't want to help me, blah, blah, blah. Whereas you saw he goes, okay, oh, no, we filled the form out wrong um, or, or something or something they did wrong. Yeah. Went yep. back went back to the process and did it again, you know, and, and so that's – and then he got what he needed. Maybe a little delay or whatever, but, but he's passed through those checks and balances. And I think those key philosophies um, demonstrate – if you can, if you, if, if everyone can stick to those philosophies, it'll work better for them. Yeah. So let, let's just dig into that a little bit deeper. So the, the main steps for getting hand controls or left foot accelerator or any other vehicle modification, if you're a passenger, the steps that the NDIS have put in place is that you need to engage a, an allied health professional that is qualified to do the assessment. And in this case, when it actually comes to driving a car, the NDIS have specified a driver trained OT. And I'm a driver trained OT, so I come from a biased point of view. I'm going to put that straight out there. But I totally agree with it. That we do a, a, a postgrad extra study course to, to learn the ins and outs of the functional tasks that go with driving. Okay, so we reflect on how muscles work, what's happening in the brain, what's happening with eyesight. We, we analyze those and try to come up with the best solution. So engaging a driver trained OT is actually specified by the NDIS, whether you, whether you like it or not. If you're gonna be driving a car with modifications or with a disability and you need the NDIS to help you out, you need to engage an occupational therapist that is qualified to do this. And that's a driver trained OT. So if you hear the term driver trained OT, they should have 
that extra qualification and a certificate number through one of the universities that offer this post-grad course to become a driver trained OT. And, you know, again, hand up, biased point of view here. Um, it's not a, it's not a physio. It's not a, it's not a psychologist. It's not a, um, it's not somebody else that's an OT and dabbling in this. They actually need to have that qualification if you're going to be the driver. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like as you saw, well, what he was mentioning was he obviously hooked up with a driver OT, um, and then they were able to work with him to try a whole bunch of different products. And and I think that was also a really good good thing that he got to experience. That's again another thing that. Um, we find, which I'll, I'll give another story in a minute, but we find um, is very limiting in this industry. Like, so as, as we discussed, you and I grab mum and dad's car whenever we can. If they're going to the shops, hey, mum, I want to get some hours in or whatever. Just get, just jump in the car and, and it's pretty easy. Yeah, um, usually in the driveway, there's, there's two or three cars to choose from, isn't there? Like, yeah, um, yeah this day and age, I mean, probably uh, when I learned the family had one car, and mine was the second car of the family when I was when I was growing up. Uh, you know, I got the hand me down, and that was the second car in the driveway. But mum and dad shared. But nowadays, mum has a car, dad has a car, brother, sister, everyone seems to have a car, and the driveway is full. And there's a whole lot of choice um, to learn to drive in quite often. Yeah. Whereas in his situation, um, just to get to the point of learning is a, is is a bit of a you know hurdle after hurdle because he's got to go first get all the assessments done then figure out um okay based on that what's going to be some suitable products then go and get access to those products actually try them and 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 the products are not in vehicles and generally vehicles um you know can only fit one or two maybe three products as he said he got into a vehicle which had a few products in it which is very lucky um, most vehicles only have one, particularly like the learner or OT vehicles. Um, and sometimes within this industry, more often than not, um, you find some companies are, I guess, quote, unquote, favoring other modifiers. Um, in fact, we, there's one client we have that um, came here. We, it's actually not a client. He's actually a friend of mine um, who's, who's a friend through sort of sports that we do. And he's in a wheelchair and he was here at our workshop um, that you can see in the background, our assessment center. We were just hanging out and I was just showing him stuff that we do. It was nothing to do with anything. The guy already drives and he's got his own hand controls and everything. Um, anyway, he, he was looking at all these different hand controls and he's like, what is all this stuff? And I was explaining to him all these different styles of hand controls and he was just completely flabbergasted. And I was talking to him about why. And he basically said that when he, so he fell off a, like he, fell off a big building, became paralyzed. And then when he was in rehab, in his rehab hospital, the therapist there effectively told him that this one, there's one company that does modifications um, and hand controls in Sydney. And they basically uh, coached this guy that became disabled that this one company is your only option available in Australia. And these are the only hand controls available in Australia. So he- So not, so not just one company, but us. You know, this is the only control that's going to work for you. Basically, yeah. And he never tried anything. Um, and he was in an extreme state of vulnerability um, on a hospital bed. And he just said, okay, well, whatever you say, I'm, I'm so vulnerable right now. And I don't know what the, my world is going to look like. And so I put 100% trust into everyone around me. So if that's what you tell me I've got to do, I'm going to do it. 
and he went and did it and he got this hand control and he's figured out how to work it out and use it and so on. Um, but it wasn't an assessment process where they found what is best for him. They shoved this thing into his car and then they said, all right, now let's get you working with it, you know, and let's get you to figure out how to use it. And so it was like the other way around, you know? Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, like I know we've got access to so many different hand controls. Brad does There's There is so many out there. There is hundreds of hand controls different by the time you muck around with handles and things like that variations, you, you can literally have hundreds out there. Um, so, so if you're only being shown one or, or, or if you think one or two or three or four is, 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 is what the go is, it's not, you know? Um, and, and as you saw, Jack, I really like the fact that he, um, the one that he was using, it was familiar to him because he plays video games and it was like, like, kind yeah. of like video games, you know, with a joystick sort of situation. And, and um, just something like that, you know, like uh, it, it was, he's already got that connection in his brain and mind and body and all that kind of stuff. So it makes that easy. Whereas someone else may not have had that. And so just having that ability to try these different things and go, okay, yeah, this works for me and let me practice on this or, or not that opens up your world. And that's really, really what NDIS is all about, you know? Yeah. So I'll just go back a step. There, there's so many controllers out there, which have just the smallest subtle differences in it. And that little subtle difference can make a massive difference to the client's comfort, to their ability to control the car over a longer distance or a shorter distance, um, whether the hand controls are on the left-hand side or the right-hand side, um, where the spinner knob's placed, if we're talking about hand controls, there's so many little subtle differences between different controls. I mean, you might jump in a driving instructor's car and, and love the first thing, but um, yeah, it's, and, and you might perch or, you know, go through the NDI pro process to get that funded, that one thing that you've tried because that was the best thing. And honestly, if you're going with an uh, experienced OT, uh, an, an OT that is experienced out there has probably got a lot of evidence behind them to suggest that this control is the best for you. And I am recommending one control for you because my experience, my knowledge in here tells me that I can disregard all of these other controls because they're not going to suit you. But, you know, the driver trained OT really should be presenting that to the NDIS in their reports. So they can, there's this whole section in the NDIS report about what did you trial and what did you consider? We've got to remember to consider, you know, all of those can put in all of those considerations that are, that are, built up over years of experience in the back of your head uh, that you just kind of wash over based on experience. But, you know, we need to go and explore them still. Make sure that the client's aware that, you know, you have considered all of these other things, uh, even, if, even if it's straightforward for you, even if it's second nature, because we know we're going for a hand control over a left foot accelerator, as an example, or we're going for uh, left-sided versus right-sided or this control versus that control, we still need to go through that process with the client. So they've got an understanding that there's been a whole lot of consideration involved. Yeah. And the one thing, the one thing I, um, I guess noticed so far also, which is consistent with the two people that we've interviewed um, is they, they have been empowered themselves to, to be, bringing also stuff to the OTs, if that makes sense. And yeah. this is something which I really want to give that message. And, and one of the big, I guess, points that 
I want to have just from this podcast is is empowering those end users to to voice up. You know, um, the the OT. What again? What we find, and and this is nothing against OTs, um, but often people think that the OT is the one that making the, all the decisions for them and telling them what to do, and and that's also. It's actually not great for the OT because it puts them in a compromised position because that's not really what they're 100% supposed to be doing, like advising of products. It's more like verifying if something is, 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 is mm. right, if that makes sense, um, but not really like saying, hey, go to this brand or that brand or whatever. So, so, um, so it's, it's better to have the, um, the, the person much more empowered and understanding that, hey, this is what I want, this works for me and so on. And they use the OT to help them make that decision rather than the OT tells them what to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's something which, which I liked about this, these two interviews is that they have felt empowered to, to work together, you know? Yeah. And to ask questions and can I try this? And um, can I go, can I have, have choice? And they actually ask, can I have choice? In, in different words, of course. Yeah. And then the OT actually helped them work through those choices. And I, yeah. I, I think that's been a good take home message for any client that is a client participant, NDIS participant um, that is going through the process is don't be afraid to ask questions. And I yeah. think that's a yeah, key to all of this. And, and ask the uh, your OT or your modifier is there anything else? Is there something else that I can try? Could I give this a go? Um, and see, see what the answer is and let's just go exploring. And, and to be honest, the same goes for both the modifiers as well as, mm. the, uh, as the therapists. You know, um, both the modifiers and the therapists really, it, as, as counterintuitive as it may seem, in the long term, it's much better for them to be asking, hey, is this the right product for you? If there's something else, maybe we don't sell it or we can't have access to it or whatever, but we really need to help you with that, you know? Yeah. And I've had, I've had, even in my case, I've had um, in our business many times where people have come here and they just haven't, we haven't had the right product. And I've basically told them, yeah. look, this is not the right products. We don't have them. Go to this company. And yeah. sure enough, I might have lost that sale from that day. But I know that those customers have um, paid me back much more than what I sold um, because I was helping them and I was honest with them. And so, so yeah, they've either come back for other things anyway. So from a customer point of view, I've never been worried about that. But, but yeah, that's what I encourage all parts of the industry to say, hey, there's lots of options out there. Make sure you've got the right thing for you. Um, and even as, if you're a therapist, ask the person, do you want to try something else? You know, should we go look for something else? You know, um, yeah. is, this, is this what you're comfortable with, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, uh, as an OT, you form working relationships and um, with a driving instructor, with a modifier, with uh, maybe a supplier if you're supplying it as well, but you do. And you, and you tend to go with the ones that you've got a good working relationship with, but that doesn't mean that only their products are going to work. So as an example, we, you know, I've got a good working relationship with a modifier, but they don't have access to all of the products. Um, one of those things is, is the Abbey Loader, a fantastic product, but um, you know, it's licensed to only go through one provider in South Australia. So um, we have to refer on to that client if that product, or sorry, that modifier, um, if that product's going to be right. And same with m multiple other areas. You've, you've got to explore all of the potential uh, products out there. I mean, we send cars to Victoria. We send cars to 
uh, New South Wales to get modified as well because they're not available here in South Australia. And you've got to refer on to the right provider that's going to meet the client's needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th those are the big kind of messages which I learned from speaking with Jack was really working with the system, having access to as much as possible and, and using as much as possible. And, um, and yeah, like I, working together really as a community with everybody openly. So, um, and then you get success. And I think yeah. I, I, I think Jack's going to be, some, be, something, uh, be something in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I hope he stays in touch and lets us know how he goes with his um, license and, and gaining his P's. Um, you know, one of the difficulties that we presented to him is, is where he lives, access to a driving instructor and how that's actually going to work. So we might actually get him back on at some point and actually talk about that relationship of, of getting access to a driving instructor in a, in a bit of a rural situation. What does he have to go through? He's not remote. But he is on the outskirts, on the on the outer fringe of uh, of Adelaide, and um, you know access to a driving instructor with modifications in his area is is something that's probably not available from our understanding, um, and he's going to have to really negotiate or work through that process. So it'll be interesting to get him back on. Yeah, yeah, maybe when he's got his license and he's driving around. Yeah, and when he when he's an inspirational speaker and uh, and doing that kind of stuff, we'll probably have to pay him money. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> All right, should we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us and listening in. And yeah, huge thank you to Jack uh, for joining us for the last episode. We appreciate his honesty and storytelling. And um, if you haven't done so, go back and listen to that episode, episode four. It was a great episode. And thank you again, Brad, uh, for your time and reflection as well. Yeah. And as we, and same to you, Ali. And as we say in every episode, if you've got any questions about you or what you can do and what will work for you, get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial experiment. Like we found with Jack, ask questions, experiment. Yeah. Try to find the best, products that are available for you and 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 get second opinions if you're not if you're oh, sorry if you need to trials really do put you in the driver's seat that's it get out there and trial some products all right see you in the next episode thanks for listening to the drivable podcast with brad williams and ali akbarian make sure you check out the facebook page and socials if you like what you have heard make sure you like rate and subscribe it makes a massive difference if you or anyone you know would like to share your story about driving with a disability, make sure you reach out to us through the socials. Just search for us. For more information and the resources mentioned in this episode, then go to the Drivable Podcast on Facebook and tune into the next episode. See you next time.